Hi, everybody. Thanks for listening. This is Theory Lab, the American Cancer Society's research podcast. I'm Joe Cotter, here with my friend, Dr. Susanna Greer. Hey, Susanna. Hey, Joe. We have a special guest today, Dr. Ned Sharpless. He's the director of the National Cancer Institute, NCI. He also served as acting commissioner of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration for six months last year, in 2019. Previously, he was the director of the University of North Carolina's Comprehensive Cancer Center. So this was a treat. And it really is a critical time for cancer research and for cancer patients. Cancer treatments can leave patients with compromised immune systems, making them vulnerable to COVID-19. So if you or someone you love is going through cancer right now, if you're newly diagnosed or undergoing treatment, please visit cancer.org coronavirus for updated information and resources. We also have a 24-7 live chat online and a 24-7 call center at 1-800-227-2345. Now, one thing you're going to hear in this interview with Dr. Sharpless is that cancer hasn't stopped. Neither has the NCI, and neither has the American Cancer Society. Um, But we need your support more than ever. The needs of people facing cancer continue, and so will the work of ACS. And so I hope you'll consider donating at cancer.org slash coronavirus. So, Susanna... Let's get to the interview. Why don't you set the stage for us? Absolutely, Joe. I I 100% agree. This was an incredibly informative, honest, and just uplifting, quite frankly, conversation that we had with Ned. He's going to share with you efforts at the NCI to really sustain cancer research. Um, Some really interesting observations around collaborations and data sharing and new opportunities in not only cancer research, but in clinical trials that have come about, quite frankly, as a result of the pandemic. And while there certainly has been a slowdown in cancer research and clinical trials, Ned leaves us with a really uplifting message that we'll get through this, we'll get through it together, and um, a message of resilience on the part of the cancer research community and oh my gosh, 100% on the part of cancer patients and survivors and caregivers. So let's listen. I think you'll enjoy this conversation. Hi, Ned. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you for having me today. Absolutely. We're thrilled for you to join us. I want to start off just with a question to help level set for our audience. Tell us how your job has changed as a result of the pandemic. Yeah, it's it's been pretty dramatic. I mean, I think we we find ourselves in uh, you know mid-April here at the uh, at the real height of the pandemic uh, in many places in the country, and so that's that's caused the National Cancer Institute to do a number of things differently. The the most obvious being telework. You know, we're we're largely all working from not the office right now, and so you know the the hassles of telework the weird WebExes and dogs barking in the background and wearing no shoes for days on end, you know, those, those things are all uh, new. Uh, and it's, it's, it's uh, less efficient. I mean, it's harder to get uh, some of the business we do is, is facilitated by being able to be in the room with someone and talk to them directly. And, and so telework is, is a little slower, but we're, we're enabled to do what we need to do. And, uh, you know, the, the NCI is fully open for business. We're doing our job. We're dispersing you know, research funds to scientists who study cancer. We're helping uh, doctors take care of patients with cancer. We're able to review new grant proposals. We're, we're, we're doing our work. 
The other thing that's different lately, though, is the um, the coronavirus epidemic has uh, caused the NCI to take on some new tasks. So we've become involved in the national pandemic response, both scientifically and, and from an operational point of view. And so we're doing all our old jobs plus some new jobs from home. So that's what's different. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot for any of us to adjust to. Um, you mentioned that there have been some dramatic changes, and in a way, these have changed our efficiency, but we all remain very much open for business. So I'd like for you to help us understand a little bit more about that, because as universities and research institutions have had to close their labs due to COVID-19, are there ways that you could help maybe share some examples of how funding agencies like the NCI and like the American Cancer Society can really help to sustain that research momentum and the fight against cancer so that we come out of this um, okay. Yeah, I think the, uh, the important thing to say there is that you know, cancer research is really job one of the National Cancer Institute to make, make progress for patients to end cancer suffering you know, this pandemic will end someday and we'll still have the problem of cancer and it's you know, the immense capacity for human suffering that cancer causes. And, and, and so we don't want to um, let this, uh, you know, the challenges of today really slow down the great progress we've seen in cancer research over the last, you know, a few decades. And, you know, that is really driven by basic research, the kind of stuff that scientists do in a lab and, and those, those activities are incredibly important. And that's a lot of what we fund at the NCI so it is true that many uh, labs throughout the country are um, suspending operations for the moment. They're not asking their scientists to come on campus to, for appropriate social distancing. They are, you know, trying to slow down um, uh, clinical trials accrual uh, for only, uh, you know, certain kinds of trials that are, uh, you know, life-saving trials, for example, or when patients have no other options. But accrual to other kinds of cancer trials is slowed down. So, you know, in many ways, our research efforts have been slowed both in the in the wet lab as well as in the clinic. Um, but, uh, you know, first off, this is temporary. We, we will see these activities resume as uh, we get further through the pandemic. Uh, also, I uh, believe that there are a lot of things, uh, types of research we can still do even if you can't come to work, you know, so uh, data analyses, writing manuscripts, those kinds of things are still possible via telework. And, and, and I think a, a lot of scientists have used this time to start new collaborations or to learn new skills or develop new technologies. Uh, and, and that, I think, has been great. And so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get through this. The uh, scientific endeavor presses on. And, uh, and I, I think we can uh, learn th some things that will be good for cancer patients even during the height of the pandemic. There are some silver linings actually here. One thing, for example, that I think is going to be a big deal for uh, cancer patients going forward is, is the real move to telehealth. You know, because of the uh, changes in, in, in CMS billing, for example, telehealth is now a real reality for most patients coming in for elective doctor visits. They do it by phone now, whereas it used to be in person, obviously. And that was dramatic. That changed within a few days in the United States because of the pandemic. I think cancer patients in many ways are going to like aspects of telehealth for some kinds of visits, and, and they're not going to want to go back. And so this is a real research opportunity for those of us who study how to deliver optimal care for cancer patients, you know, the, the, the ability to see what works well in the telehealth uh, setting and what doesn't is, is really going to be important. 
Also, I would say one of the things we've really learned about this period is that um, the federal government can really move very quickly when it needs to. And I've been really inspired and impressed by how quickly uh, we've stood up some new clinical trials, for example, related to coronavirus and cancer patients. And uh, I don't I don't want us to forget that either. I hope we will uh, learn from this uh, moment how to be uh, very quick with what we do at the NCI, even when the pandemic is gone. You gave a really interesting example of a silver lining around telehealth, um, which has become a reality and and will continue to have benefits beyond the pandemic. I, I'm wondering if you've had a similar view of ways that researchers and clinicians are learning other best practices for, for instance, sharing data and collaborating during this time that could could have implications well beyond the pandemic. Yeah, you know, I, I think with regard to data sharing in cancer, there's been um, a strong movement from the NCI and the NIH as a, as a whole to, uh, you know, increase uh, our desire for very, uh, you know, uh, frank and honest and transparent data sharing as early as possible in the setting of these large, you know, data gathering efforts that we that we fund. And, and that movement, I think, has been really important. You know, big data and the aggregation of large data sets has been very useful for cancer research and clinical cancer research. And and is 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 uh, you know something that we've been getting better at uh, for a while, and certainly a major focus of mine since I've been at the National Cancer Institute. But I think that in, in some ways the pandemic has has had a, an impact on that as well because there's been this long, you know, positive movement in the right direction. But now you know data sharing is really an extremely high priority. We we want to know immediately you know about um, clinical outcomes in patients with coronavirus and cancer or the susceptibility of patients with cancer to coronavirus and, you know, risk factors for bad outcome with COVID-19, for example, prior cancer treatment or tobacco use or things like that. And so the, the, the data sharing efforts um, have just, uh, I think, further accelerated because of the urgency. And, and, and again, that is a, a silver lining to the problem is that, um, you know, yes, the pandemic is, is in many ways terrible. It's a time of immense human suffering, but... Um, I, I think science has learned, uh, the, you know, uh, additionally, even more than we already knew, the real value of data sharing that, you know, if we all work together, we can we can make progress against a problem like this in, in a faster way. So not only, I imagine, are we experiencing new opportunities for sharing data and collaborating, but there are also new cancer research opportunities that have come about as a result or during this pandemic. Are there any that you could just share with us that are top of mind for you? Yeah, sure. I think um, there are a number of things that have been stimulated by uh, the pandemic that I think will have implications for cancer research uh, writ large. You know, first off, just the, the interaction of, of this virus with uh, a host and why it makes some people so sick and others get asymptomatic infection and, and, and why you know, cancer survivors in particular have a worse outcome is an interesting scientific question. You know, we've known that, you know, that cancer survivors in many ways, once they recover from their therapy are healthy and feel fine, but we, we've known that they have increased risk for other, other conditions, you know, depending on what treatment they got that may last a long time after their cancer is gone. And, and susceptibility of this viral infection appears to be one of them. And in an interesting way, it's not merely the classically immunosuppressed population is getting more infections. That's often the problem with cancer patients, but in, in this setting, it appears to be that, 
you know, patients who've had a lot of treatment and are, are, are therefore more sort of physiologically frail tend to have uh, the worst outcomes to this virus. So it's a really interesting sort of aging and cancer survivorship question that we've been very interested in at the NCI for a long time. I think also, you know, studying the genetics of, of this virus uh, uses a lot of the same infrastructure that we've used to study the genetics of cancer. So we compile these large lists of patients and, 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 and analyze their genes and then look for, you know, genes that are, are associated with risk or bad outcome. And, and so the approaches that we've developed at the NCI to do that are really tailor-made for studying the pandemic and, and also studying the interaction between certain clinical conditions and bad outcome in, in the pandemic, for example. And then I think, uh, you know, we've also seen really interesting use, uh, you know, thoughts and developments around um, IT approaches to studying this disease. So, I, you know, we discussed telehealth already but as a care delivery system, but there's also, you know, this interesting development about how do you monitor uh, patients with the virus, how do you do contact tracing, how do you, uh, you know, record someone's uh, uh, recent history of infection in a way that is good from a public health point of view. And so I think a lot of, uh, you know, and that involves creating new kinds of data structures and, and uh, you know, individualized outreach to, to individuals uh, that we hadn't really ever thought about before in cancer. And, and, but I think a lot of the same approaches and the same data structures we're generating for coronavirus may turn out to ultimately be useful in lots of other diseases, including, you know, following cancer patients in, in a way that gives us better national data. You mentioned a number of really thoughtful developments and questions and approaches around cancer survivors and public health and implications around the interaction of how our immune system, quite frankly, works in, in cancer patients and in all of us. There's another population of individuals who are undergoing cancer treatment and are in a a different space than a cancer survivor, and those are individuals who are participating in clinical trials. We'd be interested to know just your thoughts on how the pandemic has impacted clinical trials for cancer patients. No doubt it's had a fairly significant impact. I mean, if you look at um, any local hospital, you'll notice, except for the few that are in hotspot regions that are full of patients with coronavirus, many of the other hospitals throughout the country are running at a very diminished capacity because they want to save bed space and PPE, you know, in anticipation of um, possible surge in infection. So, so, and also they don't want their patients coming in for visits, so they're trying to provide social distancing. So they've canceled uh, or decreased a lot of so-called elective activities. And, uh, you know, many of the uh, clinical activities that we do in cancer clinical trials fall under that rubric. So, so uh, some of the NCI-sponsored clinical trials are still going full bore and haven't changed much, but a, a significant fraction of them have uh, stopped or been put on pause, particularly for kinds of questions that are considered more elective. So uh, Jim Dorshow, who runs the clinical trials program at the NCI, showed data uh, last week uh, from our uh, National Clinical Trials Network which is a big, you know, multi-center uh, NCI network that, that does cancer clinical trials. And it's, it's about a 50% decline in enrollment on those trials uh, since in the last sort of two weeks since the pandemic really got going. And uh, it was a very abrupt and sharp drop. And I think it will probably persist until people start feeling safe to go to their doctor again. 
And, you know, in some ways that's appropriate. We think that, um, you know, we do want hospitals to, to preserve, uh, you know, clinical capacity and, and, and protective equipment and, and, and these kinds of things. But on the other hand, uh, you know, cancer clinical trials are really important to making advance for patients with cancer. So a few things to say about that. The first is I am very happy to see that many institutions, academic, you know, clinical institutions have, have enunciated policies that, that they want to keep some kinds of trials going particularly trials that are life-saving in potential or trials for which no other therapy is available. So if you think about someone who has refractory leukemia and has tried many different kinds of therapies for their leukemia, and now the only option for them is an experimental CAR-T trial, for example, you know, cellular uh, therapy trial, uh, those are still available in many instances. So that's um, a good. And then also uh, trials for patients who have no other options if they're only available therapies, this therapy. So curative trials and trials for patients with no other options are, are really um, important. And I'm glad that many institutions have uh, prioritized the ability to do some trials. We've also at the NCI decided to use some of this spare capacity that, that, that where patients weren't being enrolled on trials to start a national coronavirus and cancer trial, a, a natural history study where we're going to open a trial at many, many sites, perhaps over a thousand sites nationally, where patients with coronavirus and a history of cancer can enroll in our trial. They'll give us consent to sort of uh, get their medical records and understand what's happened to them with the infection, and we'll collect samples so that we can understand, uh, you know, things about are there biomarkers that predict bad outcome with coronavirus in cancer patients, or are there genetic factors that are associated with bad or good outcome. So I, I think we're, you know, trying to keep the trials going that we can. And then we're also starting some new trials that make that take advantage of the present pandemic. Uh, another sort of area of trials that is really seeing a lot of attention now uh, that you alluded to are those that sort of test these agents that modulate the immune system. And many of those are, are drugs that cancer doctors are very familiar with and use a lot. And now they've gotten some interest in coronavirus patients. The NCI is helping with some of those trials as well to uh, sort of use these traditionally oncology drugs uh, for patients with bad uh, COVID-19. And uh, that's been a very interesting space where there have been uh, some, uh, some uh, really uh, interesting developments and, and that require further additional study and large randomized trials now. You know, it's, it's awfully heartening to hear some positive things around clinical trials. And I think our, our listeners will really appreciate hearing the opportunities for patients with no other options and those life-saving options. And I think the piece that we should certainly highlight is that we're all extraordinarily grateful for cancer patients who appreciate, who participate in clinical trials. And I just, I really love the, the opportunity that you brought up for coronavirus patients um, who are also cancer patients to uh, give back and to uh, give back to their community. That's um, incredibly uplifting and um, exciting to see that that opportunity for these patients. So I have just one last question, and that is that, well, I guess it's more of a statement. It's it's just never easy to be a cancer patient, and it's always challenging to be a caregiver. But we've all heard so much in the recent weeks about how the pandemic has created so many additional challenges for patients and caregivers. Is there a message that you'd like to share with this particular group of our listeners? 
Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it is never easy to be a patient with cancer, and it's particularly hard to be a patient with cancer during a global pandemic, that's for sure. You know, I, I find myself in this weird telework period thinking a lot about what it was like when I used to take care of patients with leukemia. And, and, and as you know, for, in leukemia, the patients get a lot of chemotherapy. They get like, um, you know, induction chemotherapy, and they're in a hospital for a month or six weeks. And it's a, it's a very anxious time. They may not necessarily feel that badly during their induction chemotherapy, but they're always sort of worried that something bad might happen, like bleeding or infection. And uh, in, in some ways, this sort of weird pause, uh, national pause, feels a little like that. It's an anxious time where we're all waiting, uh, you know, for things to get back to normal. And, you know, when I, when I used to take care of leukemia patients, uh, you, you know, I had a, a number of patients that I remember very well. And one in particular I've been thinking about a lot lately, which is this, um, you know, was an English professor I took care of who used to, used to give chemotherapy to, uh, I mean, uh, who, who had leukemia, and I was giving him induction chemotherapy. And he had um, w- w- taught Shakespeare to the undergraduates. And, you know, I'm always one that likes to learn from my patients where possible. So on rounds, you know, on the, when we would round on this guy, we would ask him sort of for a, a deep thought or a great quote for the day. And he had one of these encyclopedic memories and could always remember, uh, you know, something uh, profound to say. And it kind of became like a fifth vital sign. It was, you know, we could tell how he was doing by, you know, what he told us that morning. And, and I remember one day on one of his worst days, he told us, you know, a line from Hamlet that has stuck with me, which is that when sorrows come, they come not as single spies, but as battalions. And, uh, you know, when you read the national news and you see those ICUs in Manhattan and, and Queens and Brooklyn full, full of patients with COVID-19, and, and you just sort of imagine those battalions of sorrows, it's it's very, very difficult time. And it's difficult, you know, for a cancer patient. I think cancer patients probably have a good understanding of what that anxiety and, and waiting is like. But, you know, I, I think the good news is we're going to get through this. You know, this will be over soon and, and life will be back to normal or more back to normal. Uh, and, you know, I, I, we got that guy through induction chemotherapy and he, he left the home in remission. It was a dark time when he, you know, at that day, but, you know, things got better. And so I, I think, uh, you know, what I've tried to tell um, our national network of providers and caregivers is, is that, uh, you know, hope is going to want to get us through this, hope and compassion. And, uh, you know, those are things that are not, not in short supply in the United States right now. So I hope the cancer patients will uh, no doubt have an even more challenging time during this period, but, you know, they're a very tough uh, lot in my experience. They're going to they're gonna do okay in many instances. They're, they are resilient, and, uh, you know, they, they've been through worse than this. Well, Ned, we are grateful for your hope and compassion and um, for all you're doing. So thank you, and stay well. My pleasure. Thank you for having me this afternoon.